Good morning, church. Today's scripture is Philippians 4, verse 5. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Philippians 4, 5. Bernie, thank you for doing our reading of our scripture today. I'd like to ask all of you now if you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the message today. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, you are gracious, you are considerate, you are kind, you are reasonable, you are gentle, you are moderate. We could go on and on and Every good trait we can think of is who you are. And Lord, you've asked us to be like you. And the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, developing us, helping us to grow in our sanctification so we can emulate you. We ask now that the Holy Spirit would teach us from your word. Your Holy Spirit would empower us to be able to obey your word and to live out Christ-likeness toward others so that when they see us, they see Jesus Christ. Lord, we continue to pray for one another, recognizing that for some of those that we love and are part of the church family, this is a very difficult time. And Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask you to minister to them in times of discouragement in times of need that you'd provide for them. And Lord, that you would show those of us who are able to help ways that you would have us help our friends and our neighbors at this time. Lord, we do pray for your deliverance from evil and from the evil one. And we pray all these things in the beautiful, wonderful, perfect name, the name Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go to Rome, but I want you to think in your mind, when you picture the city of Rome, what you picture. The best known and most iconic symbol of the city of Rome is also the most visited site in the city of Rome, and I had a chance to go there on a motorcycle trip through Italy, so I'd like to show you a picture of what it is. It's the Colosseum, and the Colosseum of Rome was built of travertine limestone, volcanic rock, and brick-faced concrete. And it was the largest amphitheater built at its time. And they estimated it could seat between 50,000 and 80,000 people at one time. Construction started under the emperor by the name of Vespasian in 72 AD, and construction took about eight years. And the Colosseum was used for gladiatorial contests. It was used for executions, including crucifixions. It was used for reenactments of famous battles, and when they reenacted them, the people involved actually died. So they used prisoners of war and slaves as the victims in those battles. They also portrayed dramas based on Greek mythology, and once again, when they played out the play, the people in the play actually suffered the consequences of that play, and many died. The arena also could be flooded to about a five to seven foot depth, and they'd have boats or ships, and they would reenact sea battles. And once again, 
the people involved would actually be injured and actually die, many through drowning, and these people would be slaves or prisoners of war. And spectators came to see this because they never really knew the outcome of the battle. A typical day of the Colosseum started off with some type of performance, and then it would move on to fights between wild animals, and literally lions and tigers and bears would be released to fight with one another. Sometimes elephants were involved in these fightings. Later in the day, slaves or gladiators were put in the arena to fight with these wild animals. Some were torn apart. Some were trampled. It was horrific. But the highlight of the day in the Colosseum happened late in the day. And that's man against man. These were the gladiatorial fights. Gladiator is the Latin word for swordsman, and these gladiators carried swords. They also had spears that had tips with three on it, and they also had nets that they could capture things, people or animals with. And most of the gladiators were slaves. They were schooled under harsh conditions to be gladiators, and they were socially marginalized, and they were segregated even in their, in their death. It's estimated that in the Roman Empire, 30 to 40 percent of the population were slaves, and these slaves were acquired through battles, through wars, and the conquered people would become slaves in the Roman Empire. And you could have slaves not only that were domestic workers and farmers, but also lawyers and doctors often were slaves. Well, the gory gladiator game started long before the Colosseum was even built. The games lasted for a thousand years. But they came to an end in the 5th century A.D. because of the actions of one Christian man, a monk by the name of Telemachus. And this is his story. Go to Rome. Go to Rome. Those are the words that Telemachus heard as he was gardening in his humble garden in Asia Minor. And so, obedient to the voice of the Lord, he packed a few things. He traveled over to Italy. And as he got to Rome, he was caught up in a big crowd of celebration. The Romans had just conquered the enemies of the north, the Goths. And they were moving as a crowd to the Colosseum to celebrate. And Telemachus found himself caught with the crowd, and he found himself in the Colosseum seated with up to 80,000 people. And this humble monk watched in bewildered curiosity as two lines of muscular young men armed with swords and, and spears and nets came before the box where the emperor was seated. And in unison, they stood at attention, they raised their weapons, and they said to the emperor, Hail Caesar, we who are about to die salute you. The gladiators then pulled out their swords, and the bloody fight to the death began. And the grotesque nature of the battle and the response, the bloodthirsty response of the crowds was more than Telemachus could take. He was sickened, and he was shocked, and he stood up on his seat, and he shouted, In the name of Jesus, stop! Well, very few people heard him, 
but he continued and he ran down the stairs and without thinking, he jumped over the wall into the arena where the gladiators were and he's shouting, in the name of Jesus, stop. The gladiators, surprised by this sudden appearance of Telemachus, stopped what they were doing. And then as one version of the story puts it, the next thing that happened is one of the gladiators took his sword and thrust Telemachus in the stomach. As Telemachus was dying, he shouted out, in the name of Jesus, stop. A crowd of nearly 80,000 people became deathly silent. And after what seemed like an eternity, one man stood up and walked down the stairs and exited the Colosseum, and then a woman and a family and another man until the stadium was empty. And never again were gladiator games held in the Roman Colosseum. In the name of Jesus, they had stopped because of the action of one man. Social injustice, slavery, violence, wars, bigotry have plagued humankind ever since the fall of man about 6,000 years ago. And throughout human history, God has used a few, sometimes only one individual, to stand up and call for a change. And it seems to me that the most memorable and the most effective crusaders against social injustice have possessed the key character trait that we want to talk about today, the one that we find in Philippians 4-5 as we continue in our series, Letters from Quarantine. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, this verse says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Now, depending on your translation, what I have here in the New American Standard is gentle spirit, but you might have a different translation. King James says your moderation, let it be known to all men. The ESV version says your reasonableness. The NIV, your gentleness. The CSB, your graciousness. And the New Living Translation, uh, your considerate spirit. Well, this word comes from a Greek word, which is the word epiakis. And epiakis, I decided I needed to know more about this word, so I looked it up in several Greek lexicons, and there's a whole list of definitions for this word. They include gentle, moderate, gracious, reasonable, kind, fair, considerate, forbearing. One commentator writes that no single word in English translates epiakis well. And the commentaries consistently insist that the word contains an element of selflessness that the gentle person does not insist on their rights. Epiakis. So let me ask you, which definition of the word represents you? Gentleness? Moderation? Graciousness? Reasonableness? Kindness? Fairness? Considerateness? Forbearance? Which one should represent you? All of them. They all should represent me. When people see us coming, is this what they see coming? Have you ever wondered how people describe you when you're not around? 
When your name comes up in conversation, do they say, oh, she's so nice. He's so kind. Oh, that person is really rude. That person is arrogant. How do people describe you when you're not around? Do they call you gracious and reasonable, considerate and moderate? And if not, why not? And the answer is obvious. <laughs> if you've taken out the outline that you can print from online, now's a good time to bring it out. If not, you can just jot some notes. Just two things to highlight tonight or today, wherever you are. First one is this. So mot- motivate yourself. Motivate yourself to live like you want to be described. If you want to be described as a gracious person, you have to live like a gracious person. Live like you want to be described. If you want to be described by others behind your back as someone who's gentle or fair or kind, then you have to live that way. People won't start describing you as a gracious man or a reasonable woman or a gentle person until you start acting that way. And, of course, God expects you, expects me to act that way, to let our gentleness, our moderation, our graciousness, our reasonableness, our kindness, our fairness, our considerateness, our forbearance, the verse says, let those things be known to, did you notice, to who? To all men. And let me point out, there's no loophole here. (laughs) That word men doesn't mean that you can be nice to men, but you can be rude to women and children. The word that the Greeks use here is the word anthropos, and anthropos is a word that does not mean male. We Greeks have a perfectly good word that means male, and this isn't it. This word means person. It means mankind. It means human being. And this verse says that to every human being, every person, regardless of their age, their gender, their race, their social standing, every human being you are to be gentle to, moderate toward, gracious, reasonable, kind toward, fair, considerate, and patient. Every one of them. Well, I got thinking, well, who acts like that? (laughs) When people think of me, do, do they... Think of me as that? And I go, I, ooh, yikes. They might say I'm opinionated or impatient, but are they going to give those list of things? So I thought, well, who is there out there who to everyone has this character trait, epiakis, this whole list of gentleness and reasonableness and graciousness, especially in the face of social injustice? Four people came to my mind. I'd like to mention them to you. You've heard of all of them because they're well-known. First one that came to mind is Mohandas Gandhi. And Mohandas Gandhi was given the honorific title Mahatma, which is Sanskrit for great-souled. Most of us don't even know his name was Mohandas. We know him as Mahatma Gandhi. We know him as the great-souled one. That's his reputation. Mahatma Gandhi led a non-violent National movement in India against social injustice. And the way he did that is how he's remembered. In 1921, Gandhi assumed leadership of the Indian National Congress, and he led a national campaign for easing poverty 
in his nation, for expanding women's rights, for building religious and ethnic harmony, on ending untouchability, and above all, achieving independence from British colonial rule. And he did that through nonviolence. And as a result, India gained its independence from Britain. And Gandhi is known worldwide for his moderate, gentle, nonviolent approach to social injustice. Ironically, when Gandhi was 78 years old, he was killed by an assassin. Three bullets to the chest, assassinated by a Hindu nationalist. The second person who immediately came to my mind as someone who had these traits in the face of social injustice was Martin Luther King, Jr. I grew up with Martin Luther King. <laughs> well, not in the sense we went to school together or, or at the same playground or anything like that. But when I was one year old, Martin Luther King started his movement, his movement against social injustice. And I was a teenager when he was assassinated for his nonviolent approach. He was assassinated by escaped prisoner James Earl Ray, who killed Martin Luther King Jr. with a single shot to the head through a Remington rifle across the street as Martin Luther King was standing on the balcony of his second floor motel room. But Martin Luther King Jr., by his nonviolent approach to social injustice, helped to radically move our nation forward and give better rights to black Americans. The other two people who also came immediately to my mind, whose reputation is gracious, forbearing, and gentle worldwide to every person, is the Albanian nun we know as Mother Teresa, who ministered to the poor of the poor of the poor, <laughs> poorest in India, graciously, lovingly. And the other person, the last person, the fourth person that came to my mind was a South African prisoner turned president, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, after 27 years of being imprisoned for trying to overthrow the oppressive white ruling government of South Africa, was released from prison, ran for the country's presidency, and was elected. And as president of the country, he led the country in dismantling the country's horrific authoritarian system of racial inequality known as apartheid. He oversaw the formation of the country's Truth and Reconciliation Commission to investigate crimes committed under apartheid and amnesties, amnesties were granted in exchange for testimonies crimes committed. Nelson Mandela, his approach kept his country from erupting into a bloody civil war. Now, none of these people were perfect. Some had communist leanings. Some allegedly had immoral behaviors. None of them would be allowed to teach in our Sunday school classes here at Kailua Community Church because their theology and religious beliefs don't align with ours. But the way that each of them acted 
in the face of social injustices, has given each of them a reputation that befits the Scripture we're studying today. Let your graciousness, your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to all mankind. So in your outline, or if you're taking notes, evaluate yourself and ask this question. What am I well known for? What am I well known for? You're the one that determines that. Telemachus, a Greek monk who lived 1,600 years ago, is known for his firm yet gentle stance against social injustice. He's known for speaking up and saying, in the name of Jesus, stop. What will you be known for? But we're not done yet. The verse gives us a reason for acting gracious and reasonable and and considerate. Did you see that reason? The Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, throws in a phrase that at first seems out of place, totally random. Did you notice what it was? After exhorting you and me by saying, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, he throws in a zinger, and he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And the careful reader has to ask herself or himself, why this and why here? And what does it mean? And the careful listener of the sermon has to ask, what? I thought the sermon was over. In the name of Jesus, stop. (laughs) Well, it's not quite over. Just a minute or more. The Lord is near. That word near in the Greek means near in terms of time, but also in terms of place. It can be used either way. And we're being told here that the Lord is near in terms of time and in terms of place. He's imminent. His return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Listen, if ever there was a time where the world was being set up for the turn of Jesus Christ, it is now. I don't have time to go through all the eschatology, the study of the last things and all the events. I've done that in the book of Revelation, and if you're interested in details to the book of Revelation and how things end and the timeline that's given in Scripture that's quite clear, look in our podcast and you'll find that there's a whole series, 22 sermons on the book of Revelation. Listen to that. But our world is right now looking for someone to fix the worldwide health crisis to fix a worldwide economic crisis that hasn't even yet to begun, be, begin, to fix a worldwide social injustice crisis and the worldwide environmental crisis, as many people see it. And of course, only the true Christ can fix all those things, but before the true Christ comes to fix them, there'll be a man who will rise up, he'll be benevolent, he'll be good, he'll be wise, He'll be able to get the entire world behind him and saying, I can fix these things. But he is the false Christ. And he will turn out to be from the pit of hell. The most evil man that has lived. But the Lord Jesus Christ will come and rescue his bride, the church, before that happens. The scripture tells us that Jesus will take his bride and we will go to be with him in his home And 
He will come back with us after all this horrible stuff's happened on the earth of the Antichrist. He'll come back with us to set up the true kingdom, the righteous kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ when he fixes everything. So how should you and I be preparing for the return of Christ? The Lord is near. His return is near. Where we're told how we prepare, we prepare our character by striving to be more like Jesus Christ. Let your gentle spirit be known to all mankind, for the Lord is coming back soon. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, perhaps you're listening online and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't, when he returns, he'll leave you behind. If you'd like to know that when you die, your sins have been forgiven, that you'll get to be with Jesus when he returns, you need to do something. You need to call out to him and cry, Lord, save me. If you believe he died for your sins, if you believe he rose from the grave and conquered death, if you realize you need saving, cry out to him. Tell him you believe and he will say, save you. Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd help us to live in a way that people, when they see us coming, would see the character of Christ. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Maranatha, we pray. Amen.